Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. It's time for some Bible study. First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw delves into 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and examines Paul's sharing of some of his experiences and the reason for his sharing. Here's Pastor Tim and the sermon, My Grace is Enough. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you here at Koalau, and aloha to everybody that's watching, uh, whether across the islands or around the world. We're really glad you've, we've joined together uh, to worship God together. What an amazing thing, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about our nation is the freedom that we have to worship God together, uh, to talk about Scripture, uh, to do that in complete freedom. What a gift Uh, that is, that I don't take that for granted, and I'm just so grateful uh, that in our nation that we have that opportunity. Well, good morning again. I'm Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here, and today we're continuing our sermon series using the lectionary. That means that every week the pastors are given uh, four different passages to choose from, and today we're going to be looking at a remarkable autobiographical passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. That's a, 2 Corinthians is a letter that was written to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, so otherwise it's a good name for it, um, about 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul. Well, I just returned from uh, three weeks of vacation. Uh, it was really, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know whether like he's glad he's back or like, I'm glad he got a break. Um, but I just came back for three weeks of vacation, spent the first week on the big island, and I'm going to confess to you that I've been here in Hawaii for eight years, and I've been to Hawaii for many years before that, and this is the first time I'd ever been to the big island, which is sad and pathetic, you know, but uh, I loved it. What an amazing, amazing place. Watched the sun set from Mauna Kea, stargazed, you know, it was just incredible, incredible experience. So uh, the first week was super fun. Um, The second half of my vacation was good, but it wasn't quite as fun as going to the Big Island. Uh, I had made the decision to move out of a storage unit that I had been in since I had moved here eight years ago. So I let the storage unit know that I'm vacating on June 30th. That was part of my strategy. Uh, I I need goals like that. I need deadlines like that sometimes, especially when the task is something like cleaning out a storage unit. So I told him I'm moving out on June 30th. And this may seem super manini uh, to you, but I am really proud of myself. I actually asked some people to help me do that. Thank you, thank you. Instead of doing it on my own, I admitted to myself that it was gonna be a lot easier if I would simply acknowledge my limitations, my weaknesses, and ask people to help. So Josh Hayashi and Chris and Isaac Pan, they came and helped me and it was really quick and uh, everything was moved uh, really quickly. It would have been really difficult to do it on my own. And I actually thought about doing that on my own. But since there's some really heavy pieces of, of furniture, including a surprisingly heavy futon mattress, uh, it was really great that I asked for help. In this move out of this storage unit, uh, I uh, discovered uh, the main point of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. The main point of that letter that we're going to be looking at is this. What Paul discovered is that when I'm weak, then I am strong. There is power 
in weakness. That's the take-home message from this letter. When I can admit my weaknesses, when I can admit my powerlessness, it's amazing that I can discover the power that is available to me when I acknowledge my limitations. So having these guys come and help me move out of my storage unit was way easier than if I tried to do it on my own. One of the other lessons that I learned on my vacation is that Tiger Bomb is one of the best healing agents humanity has ever come up with. If you're anywhere near me right now, you finally figured out what that smell is. You see, I can be a kind of a slow learner. I can take one step forward and a half a step backwards. Remember that bulky futon mattress? Well, once it ended up in my home, I discovered that while it was in storage, some disgusting vermin soiled it. Exactly. And I tried to clean it. I spent days trying to clean it, but I couldn't get rid of the smell, so it had to go. So what did I do? Did I ask for help to remove it from my home? Did I remember that when I am weak, then I am strong? Absolutely not. (laughs) While trying to single-handedly throw a 75-pound futon mattress in the back of my car, I strained my shoulder. Let's see how far I can get my arm up. So uh, my shoulder's doing a lot better. Um, But if you smell Tiger Bomb, that's me. So let the fragrance of Tiger Bomb remind you that at the end of the day, this is what God says to us. For my power is made perfect in weakness, in limitations, in being able to ask for help. So let's pray together, and we're going to dive into this really amazing passage. God, thanks for your, your word. We thank you that you are a God of grace and compassion, a guy who has infinite patience. Not a guy. I'm a guy. God, you're a God who has incredible patience with guys like me, and I'm so grateful Um, for your love and grace. So be our teacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to walk us through this amazing passage. I'm going to read it in a minute, uh, but I want to set us up, help us understand. Paul has got some two distinct experiences that he has in mind when he was guided by the Spirit of God to write these words down to his friends in Corinth. The first experience is an incredible encounter that he had with God, an amazing experience that he doesn't really know how to talk about. And the second experience he has is an experience of incredible suffering. Suffering that he was going through as he wrote these words. It was an experience that he had pleaded with God three times to take from his life. But each time God said to Paul, no, I'm not going to remove that from your life. My grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So even though the answer to Paul's prayer was no, Paul somehow was able to entrust himself to God even in this difficult circumstance that did not change. There is a lot going on in these 10 verses. So before I read them, let me give you a little roadmap. First, the context of these verses. As I walk you through this, I'm actually wanting you to think about how you study the Bible. One of the things you have to know is to understand the context of the verses that you're reading. So in verse 1, Paul sets the stage. He tells us about the real-life challenges that he has experienced as a leader. As he wrote this letter, 
He's writing to highly conflicted, a group, highly conflicted group of people who are super confused about what the truth is. They don't know which teacher to listen to, to Paul or to these super apostles that have shown up in Corinth and are teaching something else. You and I have got similar challenges today. What do we believe is the truth? That's a really big problem for us. Who do we believe is telling us the truth about elections or vaccines or COVID-19 or tomatoes? Can we eat them? Are they good for us? Paul was teaching one thing and another group of teachers were teaching something else that conflicted with what Paul had taught them. And those leaders are actually actively undermining Paul's leadership in the church. So that's the context of this passage. And then in verse two to, verses two to six, we hear the first experience that he has. It's an amazing spiritual encounter that he had with God. 14 years before writing these words, Paul had an encounter with God that he did not know how to talk about. He's not just bragging or drawing attention to himself. He has a very important reason for why he is telling them about this spiritual experience. He had an incredible encounter with God, and God wants us to have deeper and deeper experiences with God ourselves. It may not be an experience like the one Paul is going to describe. It probably won't be. But nevertheless, uh, our God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we might draw close to him and experience the, the closeness of his spirit in our own lives. He wants us to know about his unshakable love for us. So that's the first experience. The second experience is in verses 7 to 10, where Paul shares with us about the suffering he's experiencing as he's writing these words. He described what he says is a thorn in his flesh. And Paul, quite surprisingly, says that there is a connection between the incredible spiritual experience he had and the difficult one he is going through. You and I may be going through some really difficult times in our own lives right now. We may not be able to find out what the answers are, why we're going through what we're going through. But this passage is gonna give us hope that in the middle of our suffering, we can entrust ourselves to a faithful God. Okay, with that overview, with that map, if you're able, would you please stand and I'm gonna read this text from the Apostle Paul to us. Paul had been doing a little bragging in chapter 11, and I'm gonna to explain to you why he did that in just a moment. But here's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse one. Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about someone like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan 
to buffet me, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're going to make our way through these verses. Incredible 10 verses just packed with things for us to think about. But I think when we get to the end of this, we're gonna have um, some insights that are gonna help us face those discouraging, disappointing times when they show up in our lives. You may be living through a time just like that right now. These past 16 months have been really, really, really difficult for most of us. And you may be actively praying about a difficult situation in your life and God may seem silent or not answering, or telling you not now, to wait. Or he may be answering that prayer in a way that you, that's different than what you had hoped he would answer. God wants to meet with us in these difficult moments and give us more of his grace and more of his power to continue trusting our lives to him. Okay, let's take a close look at these 10 verses. And I want to do is a little bit of a clinic here. I'm going to take a preaching hat off and do a teaching hat on. I'm going to give you a little clinic on how it's best to study Scripture. So you might want to take some notes. If you're thinking to yourself while you're reading these verses, what in the world is going on? Um, That's completely understandable if that's what you thought. We're jumping into the middle of a letter that Paul has written to a group of people almost two millennia ago. So what I'm going to do is what we always need to do when we pick up the Bible and start reading it. We need to take a look at what's just been said in the chapters leading up to the passage that we're looking at. We need to understand the meaning of some words. And we need to understand the larger context in which those words were written. That's the only way we will have any hope of getting at the truth of what Paul is seeking to teach. Friends, there's a lot of of bad information, false teaching being spread across our country and the world right now. This has certainly been the case um, for a long time, but with social media and the 24-hour news channels and the isolation created by COVID-19, it is increasingly difficult to determine what is actually true? I saw on Facebook an it, a statement by Pope, John, Pope Francis, and I don't speak Italian. He was speaking Italian, but I could tell that the subtitles had nothing to do with what he was saying. Finally, people online who speak Italian began to say, that's not what he's saying. Friends, we have to be very careful at what we're listening to. Are they telling us the truth or is it false? Bad information is not flowing, just flowing in the world around us. It flows sometimes in the church of Jesus Christ. 
How are you and I developing the ability to discern truth and falsehood? How are you growing as a student of the scripture so that you know whether what I'm saying or Pastor Dan is saying is faithful to scripture? You and I need to be students of the scriptures. So if you go back and read the chapters leading up to this one, you'll find that Paul's doing a little bragging. He had a lot of good reasons to boast about his life. What Paul had survived up to this point in his life was, was simply astounding what he had gone through. It's an incredible uh, autobiographical statement. Uh, but Paul wasn't boasting um, just to draw attention to himself. It had a purpose. You see, Paul is never the ultimate hero of his own story. Jesus is always the hero of Paul's story. And that's one of the reasons why I trust him. It's why I will listen to him. It's because he points away from himself and points to Jesus. Because he clearly understands the good news of the gospel. Because he understands the gospel, I am prepared to listen to what he has to say. The false teachers that we learned about in the previous chapters seem to think of themselves as the ultimate heroes of the story. They point people to themselves and not to Christ. They offer themselves as the reason people should hope. So why is Paul bragging? He's bragging about his past experiences because he's concerned about his friends in Corinth. It was his love for the Christians in Corinth that Paul does something he hates to do. He's going to boast about an experience that he had with God. Paul is going to risk doing that because he is deeply concerned for his friends in Corinth. And what is Paul alarmed about? The false teachers had come to Corinth were twisting and distorting the message of Christ. It seems that these teachers neither understood the gospel or knew the heart and character of God. They claimed to be apostles, but that, Paul says, is not true. They are either deliberately trying to mislead the believers in Corinth because they have some other agenda in mind, or they themselves are deluded and don't realize that what they are teaching is inconsistent with the gospel. Listen to what Paul says about these false teachers in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such persons are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. That is some really tough talk from the Apostle Paul. He's taken off the gloves. Paul is warning the Corinthians, watch out. You guys need to be on guard against these so-called super apostles. That's what Paul calls them in 2 Corinthians 11, and that's how they saw themselves. For whatever reason, they were perverting the truth of the gospel, and Paul knows that puts his friends in Corinth at great risk. To lose the clarity of the gospel message, to be drawn away by people whose character is inconsistent with the character of Christ, puts them in great danger. These so-called super apostles were working hard to establish their authority by telling people about the mystical experiences they supposedly had with God. They were claiming that they were, had more authority than Paul, 
and they were basing that claim on their spiritual experiences, and because they saw themselves as more gifted leaders than Paul. They said that they were better than him. What they were saying about him behind his back got back to Paul, and he quotes what he had heard. For some say, quoting the false false teachers, his, Paul's letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, Paul is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. These false teachers don't realize how destructive they are. They're hubris. They're focused on themselves. Their lack of a faithful understanding of who Jesus is and his message to the world is threatening the spiritual well-being of the Corinthian Christians. So Paul is forced to confront them. Why, because his ego was bruised? I don't think so. Paul confronts these false teachers and warns the Corinthians because he genuinely loves them. So Paul starts building his case, not to save his reputation, but to rescue these people from the disaster that awaits them if they continue to entertain the lies the false teachers are telling them. What about you and me? How well can we recognize when someone is masquerading as a teacher of truth and light, when in reality what they are saying is actually untrue? So Paul tells his friends in Corinth that these so-called super apostles are forcing him to start boasting about his own spiritual experiences. He doesn't want to do this, but he feels compelled to do it. Even though he doesn't want to boast about his experiences with God, Paul feels he has to do it because he loves the Corinthians and he's concerned about what's happening to them. Here is our text from 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Paul says there's absolutely nothing to be gained by boasting. It's a stupid, empty exercise. But nevertheless, Paul is going to take on the super apostles by doing what they had done. You think your spiritual experiences are amazing? Well, listen to this. So Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians of what happened to him. The false teachers were telling everybody about how God supposedly had come to them and given them secret revelations, secret knowledge, secret information. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know God, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about someone like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Paul hates doing this. He hates it so much that he talks about his own experience in the third person. He says, I know a man. The man that Paul knows is Paul himself. Paul had an experience with God that he doesn't know how to talk about. Um, And he said he was drawn up into the third heaven. So here's a case to understand scripture correctly. You need to understand what that word means. What is the third heaven? 
That is just an old-fashioned way of talking about where God lives. The first heaven is the atmosphere around us, the sky. The second heaven is the sun, moon, and stars. The third is the place where God dwells. So we need to work hard when we're studying scripture to understand the context of a passage. We need to understand uh, the literary genre that we're reading. We need to understand um, the meanings of words to be able to understand. Otherwise, we can just drift off into inaccurate interpretations of the scriptures. You could come up with a whole set of wild, crazy theology about the third heaven, when all it is is saying is that's just a place where God dwells. So knowing what words mean, knowing the context, knowing the history, knowing the kind of literature you're reading is super important to be able to discern the truth of scripture. So Paul says he was carried into the presence of God, and there he had an experience that changed him profoundly. Dwight Moody had an experience like that, the famous evangelist. At one point in his life, he was so burned out that uh, he didn't want to be in ministry any longer. He felt that everything had become meaningless and ineffective, but one day, on the streets of New York City, God did something in his life that he too did not know how to talk about. You know, God's like that. He shows up in our lives, sometimes in completely unexpected places and surprising ways. Moody uh, says that he had endured, he's really suffered for about four months of intense spiritual agony. He writes, God seemed to be just showing me myself. I found I was ambitious. I was not preaching for Christ. I was preaching for ambition. I found everything in my heart that ought not to be there. For four months, a wrestling went on me. I was a miserable man. The words of the great evangelist Dwight Moody. But suddenly, Moody writes, after four months, the agony, the anointing came. It came upon me as I was walking in the streets of New York. God shows up when and wherever he wants to show up. The Holy Spirit came on Moody in such great force while he was walking down Wall Street. And all of a sudden, there was nothing more important to Moody than to find a place where he could pray. And he writes, ah, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. He had to say, stop. I can't take any more of your presence right now. I had an experience um, with God that I rarely talk about. I'm kind of uncomfortable talking about it this morning. I'm not bragging. There's no reason in me that this experience of God's spirit should have happened to me. I don't really know how to explain it except to say that God suddenly decided he wanted to meet with me in a powerful way one day in seminary when I was a student. It happened at a place called Peyton Hall during a class at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, this august academic institution. I was enrolled in a class taught by a renewal team from England that was led by a man by the name of David Watson. David Watson had a profound impact on friends of this church like Mike Pilavachi and others. As we were worshiping God together, all of a sudden the Spirit of God filled me 
And I was so overwhelmed with joy that I thought I was going to explode with laughter. I was incapacitated by joy in that classroom at Fuller Theological Seminary. The experience of God's love was so unrelenting and overwhelming that I pleaded with God to stop. I should have just cooperated with the Spirit. I was too concerned about drawing attention to myself and looking ridiculous. But hopefully now I would have just said, okay, bring it on. Fill me with yourself. God did not meet, me, meet with me like that because I'm better than anyone else. It wasn't because of my goodness or my faithfulness that God decided to fill me with his spirit one day. It was because of his all-surpassing love. It was because of his mercy. It was because of his compassion. It was simply because of his grace that God showed up in my life like that. God wants to show you and me more of his love. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. It may not be like my Peyton Hall experience or Dwight Moody's Wall Street experience or the Apostle Paul's encounter in the third heaven. It had been 14 years since that happened in Paul's life. It probably hadn't happened since. But God wants us to draw near to him. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants to show us how great his love is for us. In a few moments, we're going to be gathered around this table. This communion table proclaims the love of God to you and to the world. God wants to draw us deeper into relationship with him. He wants us to be able to hear his voice with greater clarity. Well, before we move on to the painful experience that Paul had, I just want to say one more thing uh, about Paul's own understanding about why this happened to him. It wasn't because he was some super apostle that he had this encounter with God. It was simply because, as he says in verse 1, he was a man in Christ. Paul was just a man who was in Christ. A person who had entrusted his life to Jesus. And when he did, his life was now united with the life of Jesus. So Paul is drawing attention to Jesus, the hero of the story. Friends, watch out for leaders who draw, who'd love to draw attention to themselves and make themselves the hero of the story. I am not the hero of my story. When it will be all be said and done, there will only be one hero of my story and of the human story, and that is Jesus Christ. Did Paul boast about how super spiritual he was or how he was special, some super apostle that was worthy of an encounter like that? No, he was just a person in Christ. All that matters is that we are clothed in Christ. And when we are, we have access to God. And that access is not based on our goodness, but on the goodness and love of Jesus. That was Paul's heaven experience. And that incredible experience was accompanied by a very painful one. He was lifted up into the presence of God, and he was also given what he calls a thorn in the flesh. After boasting about all the incredible revelations of 
God that he had had. Paul will now go on to boast about his weaknesses, which is his greatest boast of all. Verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God allows a thorn to come into Paul's life. What was that thorn? We don't know what it was precisely. He doesn't tell us, and that's a good thing because then we can think about our own thorn in our flesh that we may have. Let me be clear, um, not every experience of suffering is the result of what Paul is explaining here, but, but in this case, God allows what might have been a physical difficulty to keep Paul from becoming conceited because of his incredible heavenly experience. Some have suggested he maybe had a persistent problem with his eyes. But Paul discovered that when God allowed this weakness to come into his life and to persist, it was then that he learned to cry out to God for help. It was in his weakness that he discovered his greatest experience of God's strength. Paul described the thorn as a messenger from Satan. Probably got your attention when you heard him say that. I love what Tim Keller says about this messenger. When something bad happens to us, Satan will attach a message to that difficulty. It's a little bit like receiving an email. Sometimes an email message comes to us with an attachment. Satan attaches a message to the difficulties in our lives, to the struggles we face, and to our experiences of failure. And what can devastate us is not necessarily the thorn itself, but the message the evil one attaches to it. The thorn is difficult. It's a painful experience in and of itself, but it's made much worse by the message that the evil one attaches to it. The evil one wants us to interpret the painful experience in ways that will drain us of courage. Satan's message is designed to discourage us. Something has come into Paul's life that threatens to deflate him, to take him out of the game to drain him of the courage that he needs. But what Paul says here is that God has his own message, that he is attached to the painful experience. And God wants us to hear and listen to his message to us. Tim Keller says, you have to look at a problem that comes into your life and say that there is a message from Satan and a message from God in this. And my discouragement or my strengthening will depend on which message I listen to. The thorn in and of itself is significant, but in the end, it's the message attached to the thorn that we listen to that matters the most. The message from God is what matters, and that message is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is enough for you. I have good things I want to do in your life, even during this difficult time. 
God may have allowed a difficulty into your lives, but he has not abandoned you. As we come to the Lord's table, this table is proclaiming a message of hope. It's a message of love and comfort. It's a message that tells us you are forgiven. It's a word from our God that says you are welcome here. I am with you. You are not alone in the middle of the difficulties you're experiencing. You see, Paul had learned how to discern the truth of the gospel and to turn up the volume on God's message to him in the midst of his suffering. I don't know about you, but I've discovered uh, that I often need help doing that. I need a community of people around me who help me turn down the messages of the evil one and turn up the volume of the voice of God. When God did not answer Paul's prayers the way that he had hoped, Paul still let God's voice be the loudest, the clearest voice in his life. Paul learned through all that he had been through that God could be trusted. Whatever we might be going through today, whether we understand the reasons for it or not, this table invites us to entrust ourselves to our good and faithful God who gave his one and only son so that we might have life to the full. Shall we pray together? God of grace and love, we're grateful that we can come to you just as we are, admit our limitations, admit our need for you. And maybe today there is one person uh, or many people that want to say yes to you for the very first time. If that's you, all you need to do is to come to this gracious, loving, compassionate God and say sorry. Sorry for the failings. Sorry for the mistakes. Sorry for the things that, you, that, that you've done uh, that have hurt other people and hurt yourself. And then to receive God's forgiveness. His forgiveness knows no bounds. And just to say, yes, Lord, I receive the forgiveness that was made possible for me on the cross. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for my words and thank you with my life. So God, thank you for being a God where in our weakness in our limitations. We are made strong in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you happen to pray that prayer online, just let us know. You can click the button that says uh, about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and we would love to get in touch with you. And if there's anyone here that has said that prayer and you'd like to talk with one of the pastors, We'll be around afterwards and be happy to talk with you and to get you started on um, a new journey with, with God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your amazing grace, your mercy, your compassion, your love for us. We pray that you would fill us afresh. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that really just feels wounded and broken and hurt and just really finds it so difficult to trust you. I pray that you would draw close to them and help them to entrust themselves to you
to trust your love, to trust your grace, to trust that they are securely in your hands. Thank you for your forgiveness, for filling us with your spirit. And now let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're online with us and you would like to pray with someone, just let us know by clicking on the Ask for Prayer button, and someone will be with you in just a moment, and we'd love to pray with you. If you're here at Ko'olau and you'd like to pray with someone, our prayer team will be available out on the lanai, and I just encourage you to go back there and to share a prayer request and have a time of prayer uh, with a trusted sister or brother in Christ. And now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us, uh, wherever that is around the world. We're so grateful for uh, you being a part of our ohana here in Hawaii. We want to just wish you a great week. Ahui ho. Happy Fourth of July and aloha. If we follow Paul's example, everything that happens in our lives, good or bad, points back to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focus of it all. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Press sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. In-person worship has resumed, but in limited capacity. There are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you'd like to participate, you'll need to sign up through the website on a weekly basis. And both services will be streamed live on the church websites. Once again, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, registration for in-person worship, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything we can do for you, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.